Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hensler, developmental therapist. I'm not going to say where I do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll say it. Proud calling from Louisville, Kentucky. I'm with the First Steps program here in Louisville. How are you tonight, Laura? I'm good, but I'm recovering from my whirlwind week in Tennessee. I was just lamenting how tired I still am and hope that I can pull it together for a full hour before I completely crash again. And you're still doing house stuff, so you're tired too. Not quite as bad as last week. I said I was a little bit smart. We were a little bit smarter. We didn't do 12 hours on Saturday, we did maybe eight and eight, which was very productive and not oh. quite as truly. So, um, but we are almost done. We're ready to sell our old house, so that's a huge accomplishment. We got rid of one storage unit. We only have about half of another one, and that's just furniture that I'm going to um, get rid of, and then we'll, we'll be rid of those. And now it's time to focus on our new house. So I'm excited. Yay! That was very productive. I know the old, the work to get the old one done to sell is almost as much as to get the new one completely ready for company and everything, isn't it? Well, it was you know twenty one years. I'm not going to say we neglected it, but there are just those things that you don't really ever get around to until you have to. Yeah, so, right. Um, but it looks good. I'm happy with it, and hopefully it will sell quickly. Good. We will close that chapter. So anyway, you had a huge week, Laura. You had three. Um, seminars, is that what you call them? I always Whatever, with... conferences, workshops, Trainings is what I would courses. Call them. <laughs> courses. Yeah, we Course were in training. Chattanooga. Yeah, Chattanooga on Wednesday, Knoxville, Tennessee on Thursday, and then Nashville, Tennessee on Friday. And everywhere I went, at least one person would say, Where's Kate? Oh, Kate! <laughs> It was really fun. I would say, Kate is at home working. I'm sure she's sitting on someone's floor right about now. She's seeing kids today. Yeah. It's really cute. Really cute. And it still does freak me out a little bit when, you know, in every – I'm not sure there's ever been one conference that I've gone to when one person, at least one person, hasn't mentioned the podcast or the website, and it's so flattering. But this one was really kind of cool because people would be standing, you know, we have the – uh, my DVDs and books uh, for sale there, kind of outside the room, usually or at the back. And so it's weird to walk up and have someone else kind of saying, "I have all this stuff. It's really, really good. I started, I started listening to her show like two years ago, and I just love it." And you know, kind of going on and on. And I would always kind of turn around and run away. <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing, but it was a lot of fun. We we had great, great, fun-filled rooms all three days, and it was exciting. I do want to say the next conference that we're going to do is in Atlanta. That's been rescheduled. Remember, we had that date in May, and then we had all the issues with the mailing list, but that has been rescheduled. It's going to be in Atlanta at the Crown Plaza at Sandy Springs, and I'm sure that will mean something to people from Atlanta. To me, it's just some words on a sheet of paper, but whatever. That's where Bill's parents have lived for years. No way. How about that? 
Sandy Springs, nice central area of section of of uh, Atlanta. Real pretty there. Of course, Atlanta in Good. general is pretty, but Sandy Springs did, is a nice area. I didn't even know that. I forgot about your Atlanta connection. I probably mm-hmm. should have yeah. called you and asked you all this stuff. But anyway, or Johnny should have. Well, I but. think you did well. I think that'll be good. <laughs> Most people who live there know it, and it's a nice area, and it'll be perfect. So. Um, that's great. Well, we're either going to be there. We're we're down to two dates, and we're firming it up tomorrow, either Thursday, July 21st, or Thursday, July 28th. So if you're in the Atlanta area, mark the, one of those or those two weeks kind of down on your calendar, and we will have that firmed up and on the website, hopefully, tomorrow afternoon. And I just hope we get tons and tons and tons of fun podcast listeners to uh, join me in Atlanta on that day. I'm really, really excited about doing that. And actually, we had one really cute girl come to Chattanooga from Atlanta because she was disappointed that Atlanta date didn't happen. So that was that was kind of cool, too, Yeah. to see her there. Okay, this is something I've been meaning to announce for weeks and I forget. There's something weird with Blog Talk Radio with how they're letting us number our show. And so it looks like every show is number 91. Well, actually, we're up to show number 113 now. So I need to start opening the show by saying what the show number is, but I always forget that. Um, And I don't want people to think that we are just putting the same show on week after week after week. So hopefully we'll get that technical issue taken care of. They all say show 91? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it won't let me edit the show number anymore. I edit it every week, but until I started going back and looking and saying, wait a minute, I changed that. Why does it still say? (laughs) And then the next week, I thought I changed that. What happened? And then the next week, because, you know, this is about the fourth week that I've realized, okay, I need some help doing this. So that's on Johnny's list. I'm not totally out of it. I know I changed it. (laughs) Did you document it so that you could prove it to your husband later? I did do it. I did. He's always sitting right here with me, and he's seen me do it. And then he'll say, I don't know. I really thought you did it, too. And we're both so tired today. We're just like, oh, and he's gotten sick. He's come home with a cold, so that's never good. But that is on the list for us to take care of in the next few days. So this is show number 113. Uh, And today... Okay, I have one more thing to say before we get started on our question from today. The new book went out this week. I'm so excited about it, Woo-hoo! people. I know several uh, therapists. I did three days of training <laughs> seminars all in the same it was week. A, you deserve a week off. A Both week. you and Johnny have totally earned that. <laughs> well. Well, that would be great if that were really going to happen, but you know how our life is. That is not going to happen. But anyway. It's a little breather. Well, that's so sweet of you to say, and we talked about that and flirted with that, but I made the to-do list for next week today, and we're not going to be off this next week. We'll just see how that goes. But this is what I wanted to say. Several women that I clearly remember from conferences because they either have talked to me after the conference or during the conference or asked a question or emailed me before or emailed me after, and you know how weird I am with people's names. I'm pretty good with names. That's kind of my little quirk. And I remember people. And but we compliment several... each other that way because I can't remember hardly anybody. So, who <laughs> And you always know how to tell me such and such a scenario so that I can remember. I'm yeah, sorry. I, don't you remember been, we I met keep interrupting her, blah, blah, blah. you, Laura. Oh, I don't care. That's people came good. up whose names you knew. 
Yeah, on TeachMeToTalk.com's Facebook page saying how much they like the new book. And several people are taking it on vacation as they're beach reading. And I think, boy, oh. what a what a weird profession we are when, when that's our beach reading. But anyway, good reviews on the new book. So I wanted to mention Yay. that and say thank you to those people. I've already thanked them, you know, online on that page. But um Maybe they listen to the podcast, and I wanted to just be sure and thank them again because that was so sweet, and it was great timing for me to read that because I'd, I would always check that at night when I was so tired. And so every single night when I would start to look at that, Johnny would look at me and say, what's wrong? And I would have big tears streaming down oh, my face. No. <laughs> because I would be so tired. So thank you so much. That really, really, really a good a cry. A good, a good heartfelt cry. <laughs> well, Laura, your books are like all of your work. And I'll just say from my perspective, and I've always loved the way you worded things, whether that used to be years ago sitting with you in meetings or the way you speak in public. It's all... So we, I mean, it's kind of funny to have that as a beach read, but it's very easy to read because it it kind of reads the way you talk, and it's it, um, it reads exactly the way I talk, and I really try hard to think, okay, how would I say this to somebody, and that's how I type it, and I think a lot of people respond to that positively because it's not all that lingo and not all that academic jargon where it is a little easier to read. Some people, it probably drives up the wall, and they probably don't listen to this show if they have a problem with that. <laughs> because I don't think that's our target audience. <laughs> but anyway. Those would that, be the, more, the, the drier, more technical type therapists who yeah, don't even realize it's supposed be to be fun, so they probably wouldn't <laughs> like it anyway. <laughs> that would not be us. Uh, and yeah. my point is, okay, this is what the long story was to get around to. One to thank those very sweet people for taking the time to do that because that really meant a lot for me to for them to put that on there. And two is the the pre-sale coupon, you know, that we offered for three or four weeks or two weeks or however long it was before the book was out has officially expired. And several people have gotten emails even yesterday. Can I still use the pre-sale coupon? No, that is expired. That was pre, you know, before. So now there is going to be a new sale in the book. It will not be as good as the folks who took advantage of ordering it. Johnny's sitting here saying, never again. Who took advantage of ordering it ahead of time. But if you're listening and have not gotten to get that yet and you're, you're wishing there's a coupon code, um, there's going to be one on the website kind of for the the – the first sale for the books. And we hardly ever discount the books because they're we just hardly ever do. So I'm going to run this one for about mm, 10 days or so, and then that's going to be it. So get it now or forever hold your peace. All right, that's enough about that. Let's get on to our real topic for tonight, which I just love this email from this mom, Kate. Did you get a chance to look at that? I certainly did. I was going to say, if you didn't, just say you did. <laughs> <laughs> I felt your pause there. I was going to say, ah! You did. Okay. What email? No, no. I, didn't. <laughs> I did read it. And it's another international uh, contact there, Laura. You get so many people from overseas and out of the country. I know. I know. It's not, you know, we read a lot. Of, we happen to read a lot of those on the show. And I think one reason we do is because we are so blessed in our country even with programs that we feel like have been cut back and we're not getting to see kids as often or as many 
disciplines are offered with our early intervention programs is there were several years ago, but even with how it, our systems have been reduced, our system is still really good compared to what services, families, and children, and especially toddlers, get overseas. So I do think one reason that, that and I think one reason that we take a lot of these letters um, and, and do a lot of these on the podcast is because the questions are so representative and so good of those first things that parents always ask us. Sometimes by the time that parents write me from inside the United States, their kids already been in therapy a while, and that's great. But I, I think that's why we end up with so many that we read on the air, um, because it's just so representative of what we do. And these moms are usually really, really so eager to get the information that they do such a great job of sitting down and writing a long, comprehensive email. And those are always so fun for us to do because I feel like we're really helping those moms and they may not get the information otherwise because she's not going to have a speech pathologist show up at her door in the next two or three days. So she really needs our information, and that always makes me more inclined to want to use those questions on the air. So here we go. This is from a mom named Jo, and the beginning she starts out saying how much she loves the website, which again is always very flattering, so thank you very much for saying that, Jo. And her question really is about her twins, and aren't treating twins, I mean, it's something that we have on our caseloads pretty frequently. Do you have any twins right now, Kate? One set right now. Yep. Yeah, and I usually, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, that's it, just one. But, I mean, that's... We usually have one set, not always, but. That's how I feel. I almost always have one set of multiples that I'm involved with. We've had triplets on our caseloads. We've had, sometimes we have where we have one twin and the other twin is not officially qualified for services, even though sometimes they should be. (laughs) Sometimes I've had triplets where I've started out seeing one or two of them and by the end I'm seeing all darn you know all three or either probably should be um so it really happens a lot that we see more and more multiples another reason for that is sometimes they're premature so they're going to also have those issues that are associated with prematurity that would make them more predisposed to achieve those language milestones or developmental milestones later so that might be a reason for it too But it's always a challenge when you see more than one kid at the same time, don't you think? I do. It's, um, I mean, we can discuss it in more detail as we go along with this question. But, yes, it is. It makes it definitely more difficult. It does. And that's the big thing this mom is struggling with, I think. It's just how to make sure both of my boys get what they need. So we'll go on and read the details. I have non-identical twin boys who are 21 months old and no other children. Thank you, thank you, God, for that because that's a lot. Have you have you treated multiples where they have a kid or two older or a kid or two younger? I have, and boy, those moms are really stressed when they have babies that are born so close together and there's more than one at a time. Okay, she says they were not premature. They were born 37 weeks plus two days. And they had a natural, fairly uncomplicated birth. The younger twin, Sam, had silent reflux and undetected milk and soy intolerances for the first year of his life. 
I breastfed them exclusively for the first six months. She says, I still breastfeed them now. We had no latch problems when we were breastfeeding. Sam's issues meant that he was in pain constantly and could never be laid down flat. He would wake every 20 minutes or so at night. Mm. Boy, when I can't get my sleep. You feel your pain, Joe. (laughs) Sleep is near and dear to our hearts, isn't it? That sounds bad. That sounds bad. She says, it was exhausting, and Nathan, the older twin, got dumped in front of a pile of toys or a TV a lot of the time. We really struggled to even make it through the first year. Nathan was a very undemanding baby. However, we have very recently discovered that he also has a mild milk and soy intolerance. And, you know, um, I know I've said this on here that we are lactose intolerant at my house, too, because, and I certainly get um, that... Peace and how hard that is to with infants like that. Tyler could projectile vomit, you know, the whole span of a room, and Macy's tummy until you know those first few weeks and thinking, okay, I think this is what it is. But you know, Macy being my third child and me figuring that out, I just switched her without even calling the pediatrician, switched her formula, and he. I remember him getting kind of miffed at that that I didn't even think it was worth the phone call, and I'm you know standing there saying, she's my third child. I don't need you to tell me when her stomach hurts. But it, I mean, it's awful to have a baby that you can't really feel like you can ever make comfortable. So I lived that many, many, many years ago, and I certainly um, understand that. And soy tolerances, soy allergies or intolerances are becoming more and more and more uh, a problem right now because soy is in everything. Soybean oil is when you look at a label in the grocery store, you can hardly find anything that it's not in, some kind of soy product. So I hope she's careful of that even as he grows and matures because my husband has an issue with that. And, it's and uh, you know, Macy and I are allergic to canola. And so trying to stay and, – and the whole lactose thing. So in the grocery store, I have a hard time with deciding how many people out of five are going to be able to eat this and how can I make this work. And so, again – that's with big people that can communicate and say, that made, that made me sick, that made my stomach hurt, and trying to do it with a toddler who can't talk, <laughs> who can only cry, would make that even worse. So I so understand what she's going through there now. All right, she says, at around 10 to 12 months, Nathan would completely blank us if we called his name. I think in the United States we would cute, say blank. I think that's a cute expression. I thought... <laughs> Oh, I know exactly what she means. I think we should start saying that. Blank us. Yeah, we'll try to use our British accents when we say that too. But blank out, just totally zone out is what she's meaning for our American audience. She says, I would try clapping, singing, touching him, and he would ignore me. Didn't she do a good job of trying to get his attention? Absolutely, I know. I thought that was, she was really working hard to get it, and it sounds like he was pretty resistant. It does. She says, mostly he was stretched to look around me to see the TV. That is just classic. I can just see that happening. She said, people would tell me that he's more interested in toys and things than people, and he was even like that as a tiny baby. Okay, so she's talking about Nathan, who's the older twin, and she says, you know, because the other twin, Sam, was so 
cranky and sick from all of his uh, gastrointestinal issues that Nathan, they just kind of let him do his own thing. And because of that, he also has a laid-back temperament and personality. She said he was very undemanding. And how many times, Kate, did we talk about it's those babies who who are really easy to please that sometimes just get kind of left in the dust with uh, development, and again, is through really no, um, they're just kind of low arousal kids that really need extra oomph to be able to rise to the occasion and make some demands and express some needs, and again, this mom is so busy with the other baby that often he um, just, again, watch TV or did something else so mom could take care of the infant who really, really needed her. And so now he's ended up with lots and lots of these issues that she's going to talk about. And I do just want to say to Joe, um, don't add maternal guilt on top of all of this because, you know, it just, I, I say to moms all the time, it's not right, it's not wrong, it just is. It's just what happened it's just a set of circumstances that you had to live with. Uh, I think she has done a really good job, again, of, of, you know, and as we'll see and read the rest of this email, the things that she's doing are right on the money, but I don't want her to feel like this is my fault or if I had done something different, it may have well, turned I out mean, differently. Well, sort of cloning herself, I mean, I'm assuming she spent a fair amount of time with the babies um, just, and the babies, and if one is crying and fussing and squealing and demanding, that's just the way it works. The squeaky wheel does get the grease, and the yeah. irritable baby does get more attention. You know, that's, right, and that's, that's the way it goes. That's just normal. That's just yeah. normal. And I loved her comment, what she said, people would just tell me it's more interested in toys than in people. And I think I've referenced this on the show several times, but I'm going to say it again. The Mind Institute out of University of California, Davis. And every time I say the the university out loud, I think, oh, I'm quoting that wrong. One of these days I'm going to look it up and make sure I'm saying the right, right. <laughs> Davis, I think that's right. I think it is, too, but every time I say it, it sounds weird. But Dr. Sally Rogers is who's there, and, again, she has done some great, great, great stuff. UC Davis, that's right, uh, University of California at Davis. And, she, and it's, I think that's what I said. I think I said it right. And she has done some great stuff, yeah, about looking at autism, and she's really paying attention to younger and younger babies. And she, one of the one of the studies they've done, and I think we might have just talked about this last week, is that they took on the show, they took the set of high-risk infants who had siblings diagnosed with autism, and they were looking at them even as young as six months, and they found that children who did not, or those infants, those six-month babies, six-month-old babies who did not have as good a response to or joint attention with their caregivers, whether it were their mom or their dad in the study, with a cool cause-and-effect toy. The kids who were just hyper-focused on the toy, meaning that they did not alert to mom and dad at all. They did not look at mom and dad at all while they were playing with this toy. They were much more likely to be diagnosed with autism than those children who had those nice social skills and that nice joint attention where they were looking at the toy and then looking at mom and looking at the toy and then looking back at mom, looking for that back-and-forth kind of reaction. That's what the researchers were doing. So that's always a red flag even at 
six months, even in that first year. And she's noticed that, and, and this mom tried to point that out to people. But isn't it interesting how people will always go, oh, that's no big deal. He just likes things better than people and kind of blow it off. And, again, they're not experts in development or communication, so you would expect that they were just going to try to make a mom feel better. Right. But at the same time, she was so tuned in that she knew that wasn't right. She knew already that, oh, my goodness, he shouldn't be like this. He should care about looking at people, too. So I think she was really astute to make that observation even early on. Absolutely, because a lot of times people do say, oh, he just really loves toys, or he's just shy, or he just, you know, they have some rationale for why. Or he's going to be an engineer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's going to be an engineer, so it really doesn't matter if he's social or not. Or he's going to learn how to, he's going to be fixing that TV when he's 13 rather than, you know, it really doesn't matter. No, 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 no. And again, I'm not saying that we haven't all said things like that. And we certainly want to direct our children and our teenagers and our young adults into areas of strengths in their life. But it was really for when they're picking jobs and picking what they want to do forever. But it's really good that she noticed that and, and felt that that wasn't right. And I think the one of the main reasons she did is because she had the other twin, the fussy twin, who she says Sam is a total contrast. He loves to interact with people. And so she knew right there and had right there one twin who was social and one twin that wasn't. So she didn't really have to have all those other people tell her that to be a little bit concerned or not concerned because she was living it out every single day. Okay, so she goes on to say, eventually we decided to turn the TV off, and Nathan's attention attention is similar to Sam's now, but he's still a little bit more reserved than his brother. You know, if she were here in person with me, I would want to give her a hug or a big high five for saying, good for you, for recognizing that the TV wasn't doing anything to help him develop socially or with language because don't a lot of parents get hooked into, well, he's watching an educational video, he's watching baby blah, blah, and they, you know, that's supposed to make the kids smarter. Uh, So she did a really, really, really good job by deciding on her own that she needed to turn the TV off. And look what happened. The the twin who was zoned out a lot and who would look around her to see the TV has become more and more social. And I've seen that happen with, with lots of kids on my caseload. I always think about one little girl in particular. I, you know, I saw her for the eval and then saw her for a meeting. And by the time we got around to starting therapy several weeks later, she was a much, much more markedly social little girl than she had been during the assessment. And I asked her mom, what would you do? She said, I took you seriously. You told me to turn the TV off, and I did. She doesn't watch hours and hours and hours of TV anymore. And guess what? She's learning how to play. She's interacting with us better. And I think it's so interesting when that happens. Haven't you seen that, Kate? I certainly have. And, um, you know, I... uh we hear a lot of stuff. Some things they do a great job of getting the word across. I'm not so sure the American Academy of Pediatrics news about no TV under two has been widely publicized enough. You know, not uh, like that whole by the baby. You know, I don't want to get sued by Disney or whoever owns Baby Einstein, but you know, <laughs> now they American Academy of Pediatrics has not done as well with marketing as those darn Baby Einstein people have they. That or a lot of the other, you know, back to bed and all the other things. I mean, I think that maybe that should be something they tell parents in the um, nursery, you know, at the hospital. Hey, you know, American, not that every parent would listen, 
But I do think but there are some really it. good parents out there who do not recognize that a bunch of TV under two is really not a good idea for any child. I mean, you know, exactly. when you think about that, you think, how sad that a baby is attending to the TV, looking through his mommy so that he can see the TV. And this mom, it sounds like, just followed her instincts and decided that TV isn't a good thing. But, yes. Right. I mean, that, that's, it can be very dramatic very quickly for some kids. Not all kids, but I yeah. would say some changes are pretty dramatic for almost all kids. It may not be that they instantly tune into all the adults in their lives or that they instantly... Or start you know, to talk. Yeah. Right, yeah, but they do almost always universally begin to show an interest in toys that they didn't. Uh, have any interest in before. They begin to actually play with the toys that they really didn't play with before. And I think almost, I'll say pretty much universally, at least you see some marked increase in their interest in people in their environment. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden they're going to mommy. They're coming to me. They're, you know, and I think, oh, that really helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do think you can see a lot of that. And we've talked about the that just with our own experiences with our own children. And as, as it would happen, our first, our both of our oldest children were really TV kids. And then your second daughter and my second and third child weren't TV kids at all. And even if the TV were still on in the background to appease the first kid, my second two didn't really care. They still played and drew and, you know, did their little just whatever, their own little activities, and weren't totally, in, you know, mesmerized by TV like my oldest child was. And so I think when you see a kid that, as you, to steal your expression, Kate, that a bomb could go off and he wouldn't notice because he's so engrossed in his show, those are the kids that you really need to turn the TV off from because those are the kids that are more susceptible to that whole tune everything else out, zone out, um, it's so, it's you know, and it's bizarre to me, so, you know, because they're the exact same kids who are so in tune to the TV, so absorbed, at, you know, so engrossed right. in the TV, yet they don't tend to be able to focus on much of anything or don't choose to, aren't able to. I don't know how you want right. you know, it's, it's right. markedly decreased with people and with objects, and yet the TV, and Laura, I think you're more knowledgeable about the research as far as, um, what did you call scan and whatever? What is it that I, that is TV? Dr. Jill, yeah, Dr. Jill Stam, who's a neuroscientist at the University of Arizona, and she has, or she might be at Arizona State. I'm getting, I'm so fatigued right now. It's somewhere, some institution in Arizona she's with, <laughs> and she's written this great book called Bright from the Start, and it's a book that I recommend in the conferences, and it's the book that I give for every baby shower gift that I'm ever invited to. If anytime I know somebody that's pregnant, I give this book to them as their gift because it, it, and this is one of the things that talks about. It talks about a lot of great practices to just put in place to make sure that your child um, has more of a chance of being developmentally on target. And one of the things she is adamant about is no TV for children under two and limited TV for children over two. And she says the reason that this is so detrimental for so many children is that it really trains their brains from a very young age to scan and shift, scan and shift, scan and shift. So it teaches them basically 
not to pay attention they're, because they're always looking for the next new thing or the you know the novelty of what comes next. And if you think about all those baby blah blah DVDs and those shows, they move really fast visually. Or a lot of those companies that promote the same kinds of educational materials, even if it's with a toy, boy, it's got the blinking light and it is moving on to that next new thing as soon as the kid can push the button. And she and says also this a lot is of a, cartoons and all, you know it's, yeah. all, it's all kind of the same formula and it is interesting. It works. I mean, it does engage yeah. the children to an excessive, unhealthy right. amount. You know, it's like, yeah, exactly. look at them. A bomb could go up. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I say it, I giggle because I think about you saying that. You've said that for, you know, over ten years. Oh, know, yeah. A bomb good. can go Maybe off my that sister kid. Toby coined that phrase. <laughs> a bomb could go off and he wouldn't blink. <laughs> But, you know, there are the same kids there. It's interesting. Of course, anymore, I've gotten very bold about the minute I walk in, I'm turning off the Me TV. too. I mean, I only Me mess too. around with it, but it used to be, or sometimes at the end of the session, the kid will get it on, and I'm leaving anyway, and I think, well, look at that. I had to do bat flips. I had to sound like Blue's Clues and Elmo and Cookie Monster <laughs> and Buzz Lightyear, and look, boom, he's glued to the TV, won't take his eyes off, you know. I know, and I do think a lot of therapists are reluctant to tell parents or give parents the information because they don't want to feel bossy and they don't want to feel intrusive and they don't want to feel like I'm telling this mom that she's not doing a good job with parenting. But this, I always, always, and for a long time now I've felt this way and have done this for a long time and have just always think if they don't have the information, then they can't even make a choice. And like you were saying, if they told more parents this, like they do about car seats and like they do about back to sleep. If they told more parents all of the research that's coming in about how dangerous it can be for some children to watch a lot of TV, I do think it, there would be a big shift. And she actually hypothesizes that the reason that we've had the huge increase in the numbers of children who were diagnosed with ADD and ADHD is because of excessive television viewing in their um, infant, toddler, and preschool years. And I totally believe that. I totally do. Even from, you know, my own home, my experience with my own children. Um, well, seems I mean, let's say the whether it is, you know, I don't know, I don't even know if she suggests that it's a causative agent, but let's say this, that for those kids who have these predispositions to tuning out people, not responding, not right. having much reaction, um, that TV definitely fuels the fire. And I, I'll go as far as, and this is my my feeling, not my research, autism too, that those kids who are borderline or have some spectrum tendencies, mm-hmm. the last thing they need in the world, and they're the exact kids who love to be set in front of the TV. They'll watch mm-hmm. three, four hours worth and like right. you said, parents think, well, hey, it's Sesame Street, there's letters, there's colors, there's numbers, it's, you know, whatever it is the child's watching, and they all have some slightly educational slant to them, and they think, hey, he's happy, he's he's listening, he's, you know, absorbing. He's got to be learning. Yeah. Right. And so often and those kids, mm, I don't, I just feel like they're, they're getting a buzz from it, but not really absorbing yeah. much of anything. Yeah. And it's totally passive. And when they do MRIs on infants' brains and compare the the studies set up the same information to be presented by a, a 
a live person like a mom and then the same information, the same words, the same whatever presented by a television or a DVD, there's more neural activity in the baby's brains who are listening to a real live person than the same information from the TV or the DVD. And when I read that, I mean, that's huge that you're actually stimulating more areas of a baby's brain when it's in person than you would be than um, with the TV. Because, again, a lot of parents do get hooked in with the whole educational piece. So, all right, I think we've already talked this to death. But she did a okay. great, great, great job by turning the TV off, and there's tons of research to support that. Dr. Stanley Greenspan, who is an autism guru or who was until he died said that no child who's at risk for autism or any developmental delay should have tv on ever none zero (laughs) and i yeah it's in his books it's in his book engaging autism and it's in his book the child with special needs and i uh, i support that and i agree with that is that really easy to accomplish in a lot of homes no because you think i've got to take a shower I've got to, you know, okay, it's 12 hours to Grandma's house. I, can, I can't keep him engaged in the minivan for 12 hours. You know, do what you want to do, but having the DVD player on every time you get in the car or letting it run all day long with show after show after show, not a good idea, especially for the kids with the social skill issues like we've been talking about with them this lady's little boy. So we're going to move on from that, but if you need more information about that, please Email me at Laura at Teach Me to Talk, and I'll be glad to help hook you up with some reasons that we shouldn't be doing that with children. Okay, she goes on and she says, Sam, and again, Sam was the fussy baby that was really demanding. Did the usual my, 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 ba, 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 babbling, copying us, saying things. She said Nathan's first babbling attempts were something like boa and dewa. He would say these sounds very loudly with a nod of his head. And she says later on, I forget at what age, Nathan, who's the twin that she's worried about, would screech Bailey at the top of his voice. She said it was his first word, and I think he was copying us, shouting at our dog, who was named Bailey. He did this for a few weeks, and then he never said it again. He also said night-night only once, which we say to him every night completely spontaneously. No clue where that came from. She said, I've seen him say ma, ma, ma once, but not directed at me, and he hasn't said it since then either. She also says that Nathan was very late to use pointing to get something that he wanted, maybe around 18 months old. All right, so she's giving us the background that the twin that was fussy did babble on time, did start to get some words. Early things kind of came in as I expected. Nathan, none of that. He had a lot of what we would call Kate pop-out words where he would say it one time and then he never, ever, ever said it again. Um, the experts who talk about pop-out words They'll say that the reason that that happens is that our motor pathways in our brains need to be well established, uh, and the analogy they use are like super highways or like interstates. Cars travel over them all the time. They're sleek, they're smooth, they're fast. And the kids that use the pop-out words, their motor pathways for speech in their little brains are more likened to grassy, bumpy, hilly bike paths that aren't very fast or efficient and that helps me really think about it and so I think okay when a kid has those pop-out words he doesn't he never owned that word even though he might have said it one time and somehow it circuited through that little brain to 
be routed to his mouth and pop out one time. It was not a well-established pattern that was even really under his control or else he would be able to do it again. So I try to think about that as owning the word versus not owning the word. And so Nathan really had no no words that he owned or words that were consistent. Um, she doesn't say the age, but when he was supposed to start getting words. Okay, now she fast-forwards to now. And again, how old did she say these little boys were? 21 months. Yeah. She says, Sam, who's the fussy twin? I hope she doesn't mind me characterizing them this way, but just for our listeners so they get it and so I can keep it straight. She says he now has 20-plus words, which he can use spontaneously, including Dada and Mum. He's even put two words together, outdoor, when he goes out the door. He often cries for things instead of asking for them, though. She says, Nathan can just about say dada, period, sometimes, period. (laughs) But that is when he sees his daddy first thing in the morning, and he doesn't use it to get his dad's attention. She said he's never copied sounds we made that he did as a baby, and he rarely does it now. She said Nathan was evaluated by a speech therapist, but they've yet to receive further support from them. And then she says it's a long story. And, again, remember they're in England, so different system from ours. And she says we're supposed to be getting an assistant speech therapist to help him one-to-one once a fortnight soon. And I had to look up fortnight to remember that that meant every two weeks. Yeah, (laughs) You know those British terms. Your friend. You've got that friend that No, no, no. I took 18th century English, English literature when I was an undergrad, and I learned about three things. Fortnite was one of them. <laughs> well, I'm glad you retained that little fact. I had to Google it. I mean, I thought it was every two weeks, but I wanted just to make sure. So they are probably maybe going to get speech every two weeks which that's better than some of the families that we hear about from overseas because sometimes their kids don't get speech until they're three or four. So at least he's getting this before he's even two. But she goes on to say, and my goodness, I can't believe I've taken up 40 minutes before we've gotten to her main questions. In the last six weeks, I have worked intensively with him, but I'm still not really sure what I'm doing. And again, Joe, let me just say before we even get going, you have done great. You have done the right stuff. Um, so pat yourself on the back for that. She said he can now copy us when we say, mmm, and he's fascinated by clocks. And when we say tick-tock, he responds by saying t-t-t-t. And he waves his finger back and forth to indicate his sign for clock. Uh, we've tried to get him to say ba ba ba, and he really struggles. He will look at us, and there's a long pause before he sometimes says ba, and then he looks frustrated and confused, and he can't do it again. She goes on to say, I think he has some red flags of apraxia, but I'm not qualified, and the speech therapist who evaluated him seemed to want to reassure me from panicking rather than to try to figure out how best to help him. And again, it sounds to me like that therapist just wanted to um, make her feel better rather than give her diagnostic information. And that's, I think you can do both of those equally well for our therapists that are listening. Don't you, Kate? I think that's what we both try to do is give good information and be nice uh, so that moms feel supported and reassured, but at the same time they have a realistic idea of what their kid is doing or that their kid, you know, has an issue, a real developmental problem, rather than just saying, oh, it's all going to be okay, don't worry about him. I I will say this, Mom, she's obviously done her homework. 
um, right. to even know the word apraxia with a 21-month-old <laughs> child. And the, the other side or an additional information is there are a lot of therapists um, who are right. very, very, very hesitant to even discuss or consider apraxia in a child that young. Um, right here in the good old United States. So there's a little bit of, you know, disagreement in some therapists. And I kind of think, well, you know, whether it is or it isn't, what you need to know is what to do to make it better. And this mom, you know, her instincts are good, and she's trying to figure out what to do, and she's already doing some good things. So, uh, you know. Yeah, my hand's off to her. She's doing great. Okay. She goes on to say, his receptive language skills are excellent. We've been working on baby signing, and he can probably sign around 20 signs. Again, I want to give her a big high five. (laughs) Yeah. She said, I can point to pictures in a book, and he signs what the picture is, car, house, or dog. So that's great. She's not even visually modeling the sign, it doesn't sound like. It sounds like he's really spontaneously using signs to label, so that's super. She said he will sign spontaneously if he sees a dog or hears a car. He signs more, and she has in parentheses, constantly with an exclamation point to ask for more food, more tickles, or more games. So, boy, has she done a good job, even without the help of a speech pathologist or an educator like you who signs and knows what to do, Kate. She has done it. She's done such a good job at getting that going. She said he's managed to pick up an approximation of a long mower and a motorbike yesterday in one afternoon. So she's gotten this little Aww. system now. I know. I think she's tips cute. off of your website, Laura. I think maybe <laughs> a fair amount of her information has come from. She doesn't exactly say that, but with the things she's doing, I mean, that's she's doing the, all the stuff that we talk about every week, and mm-hmm. it's written all over that website. So yeah, maybe yeah. she. Joy, is. relax. Whether you, your your assistant speech therapist is good or not, you're going to be just fine. Just keep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because she's doing the right stuff. She says he learned to sign for sweet in under two minutes, and we would call that candy. Oh. Don't you think she means candy? I guess All right, you didn't learn that That in your 18th century literature class? I didn't learn that. Sweet. I mean, I've heard them called sweets, but I I was thinking, oh, what, does she say they're sweet or what? That's obviously what it is, candy. Yeah, candy's a great one. I think it's probably candy. It's it's a great one. And if if you're a therapist listening or a mom and you have a toddler who has a sweet tooth like that, as we would say in the United States, oh, my goodness, use that sign. And how you do it, if you're not sure of what it is, it's your index finger pointed and you put it on your cheek or on your face and you twist it back and forth and how many kids kate you, they that they've learned other signs you know fairly well but then you introduce candy and they learn she said he learned in under two minutes i've had kids that they imitate that one more quickly than they have any other sign up to that point and i try to introduce that pretty early if uh, i have a kid that i know might like candy and that might have had a little bit of a motivation problem uh, <laughs> wanting to use some of his other signs spontaneously and boy does that one work so it's it's a winner yes it is that that's what i really was thinking hmm what's the sign for sweet i don't know that one <laughs> Oh, well. I'm thinking it's candy, but You're right. oh, no, I could be wrong. I think sense. it probably is. Yeah, it's okay. got to be. It's got to be. She goes on and says, he says, duh, for 
everything as he signs your point. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there may be a slight difference to the sound. Sometimes he sounds like he's saying dare as dare, and sometimes it's more like duh for dog. He's also said light a few times, but he seems to try and almost spell it out as he says it, and his attempts are different each time. And how she's worded that makes me think that he probably had some oral groping or some oral struggle or verbal struggle going on, meaning that he she can look at him and, you know, she's saying it's difficult for him to do. And a lot of kids like that, you'll see right before they start to imitate the word, they almost move their mouths as to get them going or they'll have like a grimace, some kind of little, they almost make a face like, gosh, this is hard. Some moms have said before, does that hurt? Does his mouth hurt? Uh-huh. Because he, they'll they'll contort their little lips. Have you seen kids do that, Kate? I know you have. I have, yes. And it is, I mean, once you've seen it, you kind of know it, but I could see where she might describe it that way. You know, maybe right. he's trying to sound it out. I think he's right. trying, trying to get it out and that he's struggling yeah. to do it. It's just Yeah, and again, that's a marker of apraxia like she's talking about. So she's done a really good job of matching what he's doing to what possibly could be the reason. She goes on to say in the last couple of days he's been trying to say shoes, but it's shoes or do's or some other sound again, but it's different every time. And again, that's another uh, marker for motor planning issues or apraxia when a kid might you know, he's got several. He's doing the default sound, which is the duh for everything. Every time he tries to say a word, it sounds a little different. And, again, that really reminds me of the analogy that we talked about, the superhighway, the interstate highway versus the bumpy grass path. You know, it's just not efficient. It's not a well-worn little path in his brain uh, for him to plan to say that word and then be able to Send that little message all the way, you know, so that it so that his brain programs his mouth to move correctly, and all those other complex physiological things that have to happen that we are not going to talk about today. Thank God. But uh-huh. the uh, the point is, he he doesn't. It's not um, his speech is not developing in a typical way. And so that's why he looks like he's struggling, and looks like that he's having a hard time because he is. He is. Things are not progressing neurologically like we would hope that they do. And that doesn't mean that he won't ever be a functional communicator or that he his little system won't pick it on up and him learn to communicate efficiently and effectively. It's just not happening like that now. Uh, and I think she's done a really good job of analyzing the things that, uh, that he's doing that are atypical um, so that she can point out diagnostically what she thinks this is. She also goes on to say there's a family history. She says, my husband recently told me he stuttered mildly as a child, particularly when he was nervous, and he still does it now sometimes. He also struggles to read, like reading is uncomfortable for him. His half-sister has a son who has trouble pronouncing some words, and he's 20 years old now. So, again, family history is communication problems there, and we we see that often in uh, toddlers who are struggling to learn how to communicate. There's usually always somebody or several people uh, that have related kinds of either academic difficulties or communication problems. Okay, so now she gets, um, here's the main point. She says, my problem is that I'm really struggling to try to help Nathan without neglecting Sam. I've been so focused on Nathan recently 
that Sam has stopped joining in our pointing games. I find it hard to try to make a connection and make it fun because as soon as I connect with one, the other one loses interest. They both always compete to get my attention, which is hard on all of us. Sam had a real verbal explosion a while back, but he seems to slow down right now while I'm working with Nathan a lot. Whichever one I help, I feel the other one is missing out. And I think that's the the whole that summarizes what every mom of multiples has ever said to me. Have you heard that too, Kate? I feel like if I work with one, the other one doesn't get what he needs, and then he, he kind of goes off and does his own thing, and then I feel guilty, and then I help him, and then the one that I'm helping doesn't get what he needs either. And there's always kind of that torn feeling that she never quite feels like she's doing what either one of them really, really needs. Right. I mean, it is. It's not easy. That's the truth. Two babies at the same yeah. time is twice the number of babies that most of us have. So that's right. Yeah. And we haven't mentioned at all this that you yourself are a twin, Kate. You might not have wanted me to say that, and I'm blurting that out now. But that whole, uh, you've got a whole other take on all of this, that you lived this. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you're laughing and not uncomfortably silent right now. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't have any early memories. And to be honest, my mom was fortunate. She had a lot of help. So... Yeah. Um, she, you know, there was somebody there to help feed one and change one and burp one and bathe one, and so she we talked to got, one. Yes, yeah. we got um, more individual attention than most twins, just because we were fortunate that way. So, um, right. I, I don't know. Okay. All right. She goes on to finish, and she says, Sam is a comedian, very high energy, and a bit of a drama queen. I think that's so funny. He's very bright, knows how to make complete strangers laugh. So she has a little social butterfly in that fussy, cranky twin because he learned early on, boy, I can do something and get something. I can change my world with just a wah or with a word. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like he he goes out of his way to uh, be an entertainer, and I bet he is just a ton of fun to live with, but yet she's still struggling because she feels like when he pulls back a little bit, and she then feels like, oh, gosh, I'm not seeing this bubbling personality 24-7, and he's not going to get what he needs either. So she's even worried about the little boy who seems to be moving right along. She's still even kind of worried about him. And, boy, isn't that what we mothers do? Worry no matter what's going on, going right or going wrong. She says Nathan is fascinated by how things work, such as our child-proofing attempts, and we can see him getting frustrated already by not being able to communicate. Nathan also bites Sam to get our attention. She said, so we ignore him. She's meaning Nathan, and we fuss over Sam after he's bitten him, so, you know, he's not getting reinforced for for biting. She says, I really want him talking as soon as possible. Also, any talking is good as it will stop the screeching for things. And so, again, she's just so on the money with her observations and with her insights and for how she's trying to work with both of these little boys. And even, I just love how honest she was. And the email was saying, you know, I feel like I'm not meeting either one of their needs, and it's hard. And I would just tell her, even as a professional who's done this for a long time, it is hard to work with two children at one time. It is really, really hard. Some of the things that I've done during sessions is when one is naturally paying more attention to me and one goes off by himself, sometimes I just work on the one who's really with me 10, 15 minutes and just let the other one kind of, do his own thing, and then eventually sometimes they kind of wander back to you after they've taken a break. But if if Sam is going off to 
to do something else. And, you know, Nathan really, really, really needs your attention in that one-on-one. And it sounds like he's really rising to the occasion based on all that you've been able to teach him how to do. 20 signs. He's starting to imitate some environmental noises. That's going great. And I know you don't want to feel like you're ignoring Sam, but when Sam, you know, walks off to do whatever, I don't know that I would always try to get him to come back. How do you feel about that, Kate? Uh, I don't really think I would. I mean, I think I would do what you're kind of suggesting. I mean, I think there are some things that lend themselves more easily to kind of a group shared experience. And those things are the things that I would try and engage both of them with. Bubbles, balloons, um, Mm -hmm. you know, big kind of... uh, A ball, yeah, big beach ball where you're all three having a good time with that. And that's a great Mm -hmm. idea, too. But if I were her, I would stop trying to think that she has to engage them both at the same time together, no matter what. Because oh, that's just gonna yeah, that's just gonna leave her feeling frustrated and like neither one of them is getting what she needs. And I would take um, and again I have a parent to twins, so I'm in a different situation. I just know that when I work with them at home and if I have worked with one of them and the other one has gone off by himself, then I try to kind of switch gears and work with the other one. And I certainly would advocate doing those kinds of group things that are fun for everybody, but take advantage of those little one-on-one times, too. If one of them goes to sleep earlier than the other one, or you can arrange some of your daily things so that you have that one-on-one attention, that would be great. And I wouldn't beat yourself up about it when it doesn't work out and just kind of take it as you can as far as, you know, working with both of them when it works out and one-on-one when it, again, when it just kind of naturally occurs like that. And even though it seems like your little social twin is not getting what he needs, if he is still adding words and he is still coming coming along, you know, again, you're doing the best you can and doing what you can do. I wouldn't worry so much about that. Did you have a different read on this than I did, Kate? No, I, I'm okay. Pretty much, I mean, I'm in agreement. I'm, I think Sam's going to demand the attention anyway. You know, he's right because <laughs> he's the social <laughs> twin, and Nathan right. needs a little more prodding, a little more one-on-one. It sounds right. like Sam's development is more typical. He's kind of just getting words as he goes along. Not that he doesn't continue to need some one-on-one. He does, but exactly. Yeah. Um, Nathan is the one who really kind of, and that's just as Sam got all the attention when he was a newborn because he was miserable, now it's Nathan's turn to maybe get a little bit more. And, you know, she's going to have to maximize the time she does get with Sam, but put a little more emphasis on what she can do for Nathan because at this point he really needs it. Although she's doing, you know, it sounds like she's doing great with Nathan and Sam's doing well, you know, um, 20 words, 21 months, you know. That's not, not terrible. It is a little bit behind where we would want him to truly be. And so many of the milestones, and I talk about this in the conferences all the time, and I hope if you're a longtime listener of this show, you this is not the first time you're really processing me saying this, but the milestones that speech-language pathologists and pediatricians and all of us who are early childhood um, educators and um, and professionals, all of the milestones we use are really the minimal expectation for children. Usually, the typically developing 
18-month-old has about 50 words. And that would be totally average, right at the 50th percentile, right there in the middle. And the typical average kind of, or kid that we say is doing great with language by 24 months has 200 to 300 words. And a lot of professionals use the standard 50-word benchmark as what's average when really that's when 90, that's what the, again, 90% of all children are using 50 words by the time they're 24 months. So Sam might be a teeny bit behind that, but comparatively speaking, and just because of how she describes his receptive language skills and his social skills, he's moving along. He would be what we would call, or maybe, perhaps, and again, this is a stretch, we would think of him as just a teeny bit uh, toward late talker, maybe, or just a very, 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 very mild little delay there. But Sam is following more of an atypical or a disordered path because his babbling, Nathan. Nathan, I'm sorry, we didn't hear the sounds that you would normally think about at the beginning. He didn't imitate like Sam's imitated. He didn't do all those things that she expected and his social skills that weren't as developed as she would have hoped. So his is more disordered. And so naturally, and again, don't panic uh, Joe, I think it's the mom's name when I'm saying that. That's just to kind of di- differentiate what's going on. And Sam, even though what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to kind of clarify Kate's point. 20 words isn't great for 21 months, but it's not so bad either. And because right. we've got all those other things coming in, we would not really be as worried or as concerned about him. We would still work with him and still want him to move forward and still do all the things that it sounds like she's doing. But chances are he's not going to have nearly the struggle that she's already seen with Nathan. Right. I think that's what you were saying, right? Yes. Yeah, it is. And twins tend, and I don't know really the research or the numbers on this, but twins tend to be a little bit late um, on talking anyway. So, you know... And especially one that's been sick, that mm-hmm. spent that first year really Screaming. with lots of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the bad tummy. I mean, that's uh-huh. sick. I don't know. Uh-huh. I mean, he it's not, you know, <sighs> he was sick, for lack of yeah. a better word. For a real-life layperson, he was miserable yeah. for a lot of the time. So I wouldn't be too concerned about him. Keep doing what you're doing. She's asked. Um, she wanted. She's buying some products. See, this is why I don't think she's used the website a lot, Kate, because she's. Her email was to say, "Hey, I saw where you've got some DVDs and books. Send me an invoice for these. I want to order these." And we're now able to do PayPal. For a long time, Google was hit or miss whether we could process international orders, and now um, we have a PayPal account for that. And so that's how I'm getting all of these emails, too, from these moms overseas, because they're sending me their own stories as they're ordering the DVDs or as oh. they're ordering the products. So that may be a little, a little. I wish I'd thought about that at the beginning, while we're getting more um, details from maybe a mom in the United States who just pops right on with her credit card and just orders that without thinking she needs to contact me, which is great. Either way. Yeah. Another thing, you know, Laura, we've done this with multiples, um, whether it be, you know, close-in-age siblings or not. She just may want to have a therapy box that has, like, trucks and cars and motorcycles yeah. and 
whatever kind of cool manipulatives that her kids are into, and just because Nathan's picking up those environmental sounds well, you know, she said he's doing the car sound, it sounds like. He, so he's beginning that little imitation piece that has been so non-existent mm-hmm. for him is starting to click in. And whether she she got if she didn't get the idea on your website, she needs to go to the article that talks about doing those with kids because he's getting that. And sometimes that is yeah. the earliest imitation piece that we can get from a kid is the animal sound, the dog sound, the wee, the uh-oh, the boom, the whatever. We do them all the time on the show. But um, that's working, and that's a good thing to do. It, particularly if it's things that she doesn't give the boys access to all the time so that they'll be novel right. and interesting to both kids. And she can kind of sit in the middle, put the kids around her, let them have access to them, but be modeling, modeling, modeling in in a playfully kind of, um, what's the word, playful, um, I can't think of the term. It's a Greenspan term. Were you obstruction, playfully obstructive? In any way, communication temptations, environmental sabotage, all of that, yeah. (laughs) So that she's, you know, not just doing it, but kind of doing it in a way that engages first Nathan and then Sam, so that she's, you know, crashing her motorcycle into their truck or her car into their boat or whatever it is, making the the sounds that they do so that it's a kind of a group activity, but she can easily switch focus from one child to the other. And they're bound to like it, particularly if it's stuff that she's, kind of keeps in the closet in a big plastic bin, puts right. it down, and this is, quote-unquote, therapy time. Now, the boys are just going to think that mom's being fun and, and making lots of funny noises, but, you know, they're going to be engaged by it. So that sort of thing, if there's, a, you know, a bin of things, they're not as likely to compete over the toys. They're not, And if she doesn't right. pull one aside and say, this is therapy time where we're working on our words, they'll just think right. it's a fun thing to do in the middle of the family room. So. I think that's good. The other thing that I wanted to say is one of the things she's ordering is Teach Me a Shot with Apraxia. And there are so many examples on that DVD of working with two children at once. There's a brother and a sister that I work with, Ava Grace and Dylan. And Dylan, they were both adopted children. Ava Grace officially qualified for speech, and Dylan should have qualified for speech. And so she will get lots of examples in play at snack time and other um, cute little play routines with a variety of toys because I know both of those kids um, are just on there throughout that DVD. And so she's going to get some really good examples of how to keep both children engaged. And the other thing she needs to remember is um, always work at what level the one twin really needs. If Nathan is really doing signs and imitating a lot of those early exclamatory words like you were talking about in Brian Mill Sounds, um, animal sounds, those kinds of things. Keep it there, but for Sam, she might push him a little harder and, and try to get the more traditional word. You know, for Nathan, she might take moo with the cow, and for Sam, she might hold out a little bit for cow. So it's okay to keep them at kind of different goal levels, and every speech pathologist who's ever worked with groups of children, you know, would tell you that, would say, let them, let them work at whatever level they need to work at and it's okay to kind of have different goals and different um, intentions but that but whatever happens it's not going to matter if Sam imitates what she wants Nathan to do or Nathan imitates what she wants Sam to do because they're both increasing their language so that might have been a teeny bit technical but I just wanted to remember to push Sam a little keep him going since he's the twin that's um 
talking a little more, and so you never kind of forget about one, even when you're working with the other one. Are you still there? I'm here. Okay. <laughs> even though I don't want her to feel guilty about if Sam just walks away, because Nathan really, really, really needs the extra oomph to kind of... But I do think um, that her thought about teach me to talk with apraxia is um, a good choice. <laughs> I do too. Mm-hmm. She's going to get that and teach me to talk, and then the book teach me to play with you too, to mm-hmm. help Nathan with his um, social skills. So I think she picked out great resources completely on her own, and those are the ones that I would have recommended for her. So she's she's doing great with that. She said both the boys' receptive language is good. So again, I just wish if I could see her in person, I would just spend a whole lot of time telling her what a great mom she is and how. Um, she really seemed to notice, you know, and pull out those little indicators that we would have asked her about. You know, sometimes, Kate, we're reading an email from a mom, and we say, I wish we could ask her this, or I wish we could ask her that. I don't think I thought one time through that long email, I wish I could ask her this or that, because all the information was there. She did a good job of writing it all out and sharing everything that was applicable. Right. Um, She's so really that was great. in tune with her little kids. A lot of parents would have realized it, too. Hmm. They're really not talking, and she's been paying lots of attention and working on, yeah. So she's doing a great job. I suspect both twin will ultimately be fine, probably. I think so, too, probably, too. I mean, we don't have Mm -hmm. a crystal ball, but because she's paying so much attention to it and because we know that birth to three is kind of that magic window, really birth to five, but birth to three, when you really, really, really want to, do the things and present the things that make those little brains activate and mature and kick it on in, you know, she certainly is paying attention and doing that, and she just sounds like a great mom. The other thing she was able to do is really advocate for services because, again, we get a lot of letters or we'll read a lot of letters on the podcast that children are three or four in some of these um countries that are not in the United States and have never had services before. So she jumped through some hoops to get a speech therapist to even see him at 21 months. So that was great, too. She, again, sounds like a super mom. All right. Okay, Laura, I'm going to sign off because um, my family is walking down the way. So (laughs) good show. Um, Good show, and and we'll be back. Yeah, and you will be back next week. And we may or may not have a show. We'll just kind of... Check on the Facebook page or on the website to figure out what's going on next week. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.